live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day here in downtown Elmira, Oregon, and you've got the Bo's Nose Show, and today we're going to be talking about fire and forestry and a few other things, and if you want to get in on the conversation, all you have to do is dial 646-721-9887, and if you press one, that'll let Robin, my producer, know that you want to get in on the conversation, she'll get you in. And if you don't want to talk live, you can email me at talk at krbnradio.net. And you can even do that between shows if you have a question for me or a suggestion for a guest or a subject for the show. But we're here today to talk a little bit about forest fire and all that, because that's kind of been in the news here in Lane County as we had the uh, high pass fire uh, close enough that the uh, helicopters and aircraft were turning around over my house here in Lane County. And if you're anywhere in the Western United States this summer, you've probably been close to a forest fire somewhere. But um, the state of Oregon, you know, we've got the Oregon Department of Forestry here, and we've got a rather unique setup for uh, wildland firefighting and, and control of fires on public and private lands. And I have with me as my guest today, Link Smith, who is the uh, Forester for the Western Lane District uh, for the Oregon Department of Forestry, and we're going to talk a little bit about all that. Link, how are you doing today? Uh, very well, thank you. So, Link, just you know, so folks can understand who you are, what kind of background and how did you end up being um, a forester with uh, Oregon Department of Forestry? Well, that's, uh, you know, I, to be honest with you, that's not the direction I was headed as uh, when I was younger. I wanted to be a physics teacher, believe it or not. And uh, my first real job, I would say, out of high school, I got a uh, firefighting job and basically took a 180 in that direction and uh, never looked back. I ended up getting, you know, an emergency medical technician certificates and took a bunch of classes and um, just uh, headed down a path in forestry and now uh, I've been with the Oregon Department of Forestry um, oh, going on 25 years now and uh, have done an awful lot of the different jobs that have taken me across the state um, and finally brought me here to Venita for the Western Lane District and now I, uh, I basically run the Western Lane District of the Department of Forestry which protects predominantly the western half of Lane County and some of uh, Douglas County to our south. Yeah, I was looking at the map today that I have in my office of the district, and I was noticing it actually goes outside of Lane County um, a little bit there on the south end. Um, so the, the the West Lane District, um, you guys actually protect not only the um, state forest land, but you guys protect private uh, property too, and have an agreement, I guess, to protect BLM property. Can, can you talk a little bit about what kind of lands that you guys do fire protection for? Absolutely, yes. Uh, the Department of Forestry uh, protects essentially all of the what we would call forest land, so any lands that can carry fire at any time of the year. And that's uh, we'll talk a little bit more about classification later, but that's kind of a key distinction. So. It doesn't mean that the only thing we protect are uh, is timber. We also protect brushlands, grasslands, things of that nature. Uh, if you think about the lands in and around Elmira um, or Veneta or over in Florence, for instance, uh, that aren't necessarily what you would consider large timber, uh, we protect that land as well. So we uh, protect all the private lands. Uh, we have about 26,000 acres of state-owned land here in Lane County. We protect that. Uh, county lands, for instance, and then a, a large uh, part of our protection is actually BLM, the Bureau of Land Management. On the west side of the Cascades, the Department of Forestry under contract uh, protects those lands as well, and predominantly because those lands are kind of checkerboarded with the private lands, 
historically. So it doesn't make sense to have two different uh, agencies protecting every other square mile. And so by contract, we also protect all those BLM lands. The only major forest landowner, uh, the other major forest landowner um, in the county, obviously, is the U.S. Forest Service, uh, the Sayuslaw National Forest, and the Sayuslaw protects their own acreage because it's pretty well blocked up more um, to our west along the coast there. Yeah, yeah. Good. I just want to make make that little bit of distinction that you guys actually do protect some federal lands um, that are non-Forest Service lands. Uh, and you protect state lands, you protect county lands, and you protect private lands. And it's all in a big cooperative effort between all those agencies to some degree. Before we get too far afield, though, I know that a lot of my listeners have been um, paying attention to, uh, I was fortunate to get really good information and very quickly from your offices that I was able to post on uh, Facebook and other social media. And folks who are following me to get updates on the uh, high pass fire. Can you give us a, uh, an update on the status of the high pass fire as it is today? Oh, the high pass fire looks fantastic today. We, uh, we actually transitioned uh, we brought in a what we call an incident management team, one of our Oregon Department of Forestry incident management teams, to help us manage that once it got uh, a little too complex and too large for what the district could handle. And that team actually transitioned out this morning, so the fire's back under local district control. Um, it's 100% lined. We've got a combination, some dozer lines, some road, and a whole lot of hand line out there, about 80% of it's hand lined. Um, it had hose all the way around it. We've actually pulled some of that hose out now, and it's mopped in, I would say, an average of three to 400 feet, meaning there's no smokes from the line to three, or three to 400 feet internal to the fire. So now it's uh, staffed. We still have it staffed with a couple fire engines, a water tender, uh, still have a helicopter on standby, and a 20-person hand crew um, that will be in there probably for the next week at least to continue mopping up some of those hot spots further and further to the interior of the fire. Um, we've also lifted, there are no uh, evacuation notices anymore. And so the fire is really looking good. And of course, this weather that we're seeing right now has sure raised the humidity. Uh, we haven't really seen any rain on the fire yet, but uh, we're hopeful that's gonna happen here in the next day or two uh, to help our efforts even more. Great, and in the size of that fire I saw uh, on the, the blog uh, the ODF blog uh, was the final mapping of it was 191 acres. That's correct. Yeah, I think it was 191 or 195. I can't remember what the final total was, but it was just under yeah, just under 200 acres. Yeah, and that you know, I, it's been a pretty amazing thing because um, you weren't quite sure you were going to get a handle on that at first, and one of the reasons why you called in the uh, the incident management team uh, was because the fire weather last week was was predicted to be really nasty and it had blown up overnight. Talk to me a little bit about um, ODFs uh, and and the the area's um, tactics on on initial attack and how you guys handled that fire when it first got reported and and how much resource you threw at it to try and keep it from getting, you know, to, from getting big. Cause it seems like, um, you know, I've watched fires in other areas um, of the state where it's under um, forest service uh, management and also in other states where it's under other agency management. They, they seem to kind of not be as aggressive as you guys were on Thursday with that fire. So tell me a little bit about the philosophy of ODF on initial attack and then just how you dealt with this particular fire. Okay, there's several things I can cover there. Um, you know, one, <laughs> one point to make there is that, uh, and to use the Forest Service as an example, uh, they protect their own lands. And so there are areas where, you know, we're getting a fire regime back onto the forest is probably a good idea health-wise, forest health-wise. But they're managing their own asset there. So if it catches on fire and they decide that you know that you know moving fire it's safer or uh, more effective or it's better for the forest health to uh, you know maybe not suppress it or suppress it in different manners that they kind of have their own uh, again they're managing their own land and can make those decisions. We're different than that. We're being paid by forest landowners. Uh, BLM private landowners are paying us directly to protect their lands from fire. So. 
Um, you know, if you're paying us to put the fire out, we really don't have the right to say, well, gosh, your your timber could kind of use an underburn in here. And um, so it's, it's a little different. That You know, that, that root philosophy really drives what we do. And if you're a paying customer, um, you expect us to pour everything we have um, to keep that fire small and, and protect your investment. And, you know, the timber lands, especially in western Oregon here, um, are a tremendous asset uh, and, and a large investment for an awful lot of folks. And so we, uh, we take an awful lot of pride in, in helping them protect that, uh, protect that asset. So locally on the district here, uh, we protect about 750,000 acres in that area I talked about. Uh, I'm one of 13 districts in the state. Uh, we protect about three-quarters of a million acres. I'm sorry, three-quarters. Yeah, three-quarters of a million acres. Self-confused there. Um, and we do that here on the district. We staff 10 fire engines. Uh, we also have a contract helicopter um, on standby here in Eugene that we share with our kind of our sister district on the other side of the freeway, the South Cascade District. Uh, we share an awful lot of resources. Um, kind of the most important fact there is that we're all part of a, a complete, what we call the complete and coordinated system. So we work with other districts, other agencies, and a substantial amount of contribution comes from the landowners themselves. Um, so specifically, if you talk about your the larger industrial landowners, the, the Senecas, the Justinas, the Roseboros, Warehousers, Roseburg, you know, those kind of landowners out there uh, that help protect their own investment, um, they all work together with us as partners um, you know, to uh, basically, again, to protect that forest. So what happened on um, last Thursday morning, that high-pass fire, it was reported to us all around 3, 3.30 in the morning. Um, the exact time's a little fuzzy, to be honest with you. The call came to me uh, specifically. Uh, we already had Lane Fire Authority and Junction City, and I believe Monroe was even out. Uh, they were all already en route to try to locate that, uh, that fire that had been reported by several folks. It was quite visible from the valley. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of the short story there, or the long story, however you want to look at it, is that was one of the worst fire days of the year as far as fire weather. Um, we were in red flag warnings, uh, red flag conditions, meaning uh, very dry, low humidity, um, high temperatures with an east wind. Um, so uh, when we consider that was probably one of our top 97% worst days. Um, and it started out, we think we got on scene when it was eight acres in size already. Um, and about a 10 to 12 year old uh, reproduction stand of timber and we just couldn't get a handle on it. We kept pouring and ordering more and more and more resources and we held it in check. Um, but that first day alone, Jay, we, uh, we flew about three quarters of a million dollars worth of aircraft on that fire trying to, trying to stop it. Uh, we had air tankers working kind of round robin clear out of Medford is where they had to load the large air tankers. We had a few single-engine air tankers come out of Salem, and then we ended up with uh, what we call our Type 1 um, heavy helicopters, which are your air cranes, and uh, you might have seen a couple of Chinooks flying around, and some Type 2, some medium helicopters that drop around 300 gallons. Um, so we had it was, it was a little miniature air force out there, um, along with, again, our agency partners, our landowners had bulldozers out there. We had hand crews. It was quite a scene because we knew that uh, the following day was equally as bad. The, on Friday, the weather was predicted to be just as bad. And to be honest with you, I thought we were going to end up with probably a thousand to twelve hundred acre fire uh, by the end of the second day if we didn't if we didn't keep it in check. Um, yeah, and that. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that it's just amazing that you guys kept it. I think towards the end of the day, there you guys were somewhere between 50 and 100 acres um, and, and just to keep it at that level and you know it was it was a bad bad day I think we were 97 degrees I saw at my house uh, the wind was blowing out of the you know hard out of the northeast and it was gusty it was kind of not even a steady wind it was one of these things that would blow hard from one direction get calm and then blow from another you know the type of thing that probably drives a firefighter crazy um, so well, it's just absolutely. amazing you guys held it, held it in check for the, for that day, but then, yeah, then it really kind of got out of hand. Overnight. 
Yeah, the terrain up there is, uh, again, it's not bulldozer ground. You know, you can't put a hand line or you can't put a dozer line in quickly. And so it, it takes personnel on the ground. And, um, you know, when we, after that first day with all that air support and all the resources, I'm guessing it was around 75 acres by the end of the day shift on Thursday. And our hope was that, you know, we lost all the aircraft at night, unfortunately. Um, but our hope was it would lay down at nighttime. And instead, when I got back to the office, I got a couple hours of sleep, you know, in the middle of the night there, and I got back to the office in the wee hours on Friday morning, and the fire doubled in size. So without the air support at nighttime, it went from 75 to, you know, 170 to 180 acres. And that was the point where, you know, Friday was predicted to be what we call a Haynes level of six, which is the highest uh, or the worst fire behavior days um, that you have, as they call it, a Haynes level of six. So we were supposed to be you know, critical, uh, low humidities, high temperatures, east wind again, basically a worse day. And we couldn't hold that fire when we got to it at eight acres. We weren't going to be able to hold it when it's 180 acres. So that's the time that we pushed the button to order a fire team to, to come help us out. Yeah, and then you got got really lucky with the weather on Friday, didn't you? Um, you know, the, the, the weather forecast for the Haines of six and, and the winds and all that, uh, fortunately, was not accurate. Absolutely. That's one of those days, you know, everybody talks about how difficult it is to predict the weather. And we had one of the worst days predicted, and I don't know if anybody remembers, but about noon on Friday, a high-level cloud cover kind of came over and essentially kind of put a lid on the on the atmosphere, and the fire just laid down. It continued to burn, obviously, in the heavy fuels, um, you know, within the perimeter of the fire, but we saw very minimal, very minimal spread on Friday, uh, which was just absolutely opposite of what we had predicted, but uh, very glad to see it. We, if it had not been that break in the weather, we would have had 1,000 acres on fire by the end of that day. Yeah, yeah. But had you not held it to 75 acres that first day, um, we'd have still been in a bad way. Uh, and particularly if we'd gotten the, the weather on Friday that we we're supposed to get, um, we'd have been in the probably 2,000 acre range or so um, on by the end of the day on Friday if we'd actually gotten the weather that was called for. If you guys hadn't made such a heavy attack on Thursday. So I have to commend you and your staff and, and the, the local district firefighters and every, and, and you guys got help from all over the place. Cause I know when I kind of drifted out there, I didn't try and get too close cause I didn't want to get in the way, um, out high pass road on, on, uh, Thursday. I saw, you know, folks from junction city go by. I saw some lane fire authority trucks go by. Um, so you guys were getting a lot of help from all over the place. And I understand that um, when you get involved in a in a firefight like that, you guys even get help um, from the the private landowners, and and some of their equipment is made available to you and and personnel. Uh, is is that that the case? And was was that critical to that first day of firefighting? It was absolutely critical. You're you're right. Um, you know, again, I'll take the opportunity to commend our local staff here. Um, Talk about hitting a home run. I mean, they really, um, I sound like an old man when I say I was sure proud of my folks here, but it was a, uh, it was really something to watch from the actual firefighters who get the big pat on the back to the support of our finance and dispatch staff here um, and our other foresters that were out there on the ground leading, uh, leading in helicopters, that kind of stuff. It was truly quite an effort locally. But, um, again, our partners, if you want to look just operationally at the firefighting, um, our agency partners that I mentioned before, our local fire districts, they had tenders, people, engines out on the ground. And then you mentioned our landowner group. Um, you know, we had out there uh, Justina, Roseboro, Weyerhaeuser, and BLM all supplying us. And you know, they've got a lot of contacts that we don't have. So to bring in additional resources, again, such as excavators, <clears throat> excuse me, dozers, um, additional engines and tenders is just fantastic. And there's just no way we could, uh, no way we could do what we do without that uh, that cooperative effort. Yeah, and that cooperative effort um, that gets built long before you ever have a fire on the ground. And 
that brings me back to the whole idea of the the West Lane District. It the West Lane District of ODF, but there's actually um, kind of a, a, a association that has a board and all that of the landowners that actually is like a governing body for that West Lane District. And is that uh, an accurate description? Absolutely. You know, to, to really, I could probably bore you to death with history, but the reality is that our organization, as far as firefighting, was um, originally done by a private association of landowners over 100 years ago. And they provided all the same protection over the same landowners that I mentioned earlier. Um, and we didn't actually become a, a uh, an agency firefighting force until the mid-70s. Um, but that association of landowners, which includes, um, you know, all the all the private, the larger private industrial landowners, um, are a key component of that uh, of that association, the Western Lane Forest Protective Association. So it's it's we're really unlike any other state agency. We've got a truly um, a truly private side to us, so to speak, a, a private support side um, that works right alongside us, and they they are um, our board of directors. They kind of oversee everything we do, um, overlooking our budget and helping determine our level of protection that we're going to pay for. Um, and then the landowners, just so folks know how this firefighting is paid for out there, the landowners pay essentially 50% of that um, directly. So if you look at a, a Roseburg Forest Products, they're writing a check every year that pays for exactly half of our budget. The other half is provided by the general fund. Um, so, you know, there's a real stake in what we do and who pays our bills, and the fact that we're working alongside them to protect that asset um, is not there, – there's no other state that does it the way we do, and I believe that there's no other state that does it as well. Um, efficiently and effectively as we do just by that, again, that complete coordinated system that everybody has a stake in. Yeah, yeah. So um, for folks that are just tuning in, we're talking with Link Smith, who is the uh, district forester for the Western Lane District of the Oregon Department of Forestry. And we've been talking forest fire here for a while. <laughs> Got an update on the high pass fire. But if you want to get in on the conversation or have a question for Link or myself, you can just call at 646-721-9887. And if you just press one, that'll let uh, Robin, our producer here, let know that you want to get in on the conversation. Um, Link, uh, so that, you know, with this Western Lane uh, Fire Protective Association. That's the board that essentially um, you said you know they they pass your budget and all that stuff. Um, I've actually attended the annual meetings there out in Venita. Uh, it is rec you know it, it's interesting because there's folks there from Warehouser and from Seneca and from you know Roseburg and Roseboro and and. But it, you know the big names you would think of, but there's also um, the small woodland owners and and the, the little guys that are out there um, that are participating in that. And then there are folks there, you know, from BLM and and other other agencies, uh, and, and you know, and folks like myself, you know, representing Lane County. Uh, it is really truly. Um, this cooperative effort. So the fact that that the private landowners are are ready to lend mutual aid during a fire, and and in this particular fire you're talking about, it actually started on private land and then spread into BLM um, owned land, and it you know doesn't really matter whose land it started on. Everybody wants to keep it small and keep it keep it away from any other land. So you know they they jump right in in this cooperative association and the private guys lend their 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 equipment and their their dozers their tenders or whatever and um and everyone just seems to to jump in and they're they're already and part of having that association is that helps you um keep an inventory of available um resources and 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 track that through the association where the uh, the private entities kind of let you know what they have uh, nearby that, that might be uh, a resource for you guys in a fire. Uh, so you have all that information uh, 
long before you get that 3 a.m. fuzzy telephone call that tells you that there might be a fire out near uh, uh, Junction City. Um, it, it, is that you know an accurate description that, that you guys have all this kind of pre-planned and you kind of know what's available from the private guys and 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 how to who to call about what? That's absolutely accurate. Um, you know the the hard part is tracking it exactly by location, and that where it's, that's where it comes down to relationships and uh, again just knowing the right people, knowing who to call for help and. You know, every time you call, you you almost get more help than you ask for. Uh, you know, again, I was making mm-hmm. phone calls at 3.30 in the morning on my cell phone while I was coming to the office here. And um, equipment from, you know, if I started the conversation with some of those landowners that you mentioned right there who were directly affected, and they uh, immediately were notifying their operators. Um, so there was, uh, you know, uh, dozers on the way, there were fallers on the way, there was an excavator on the way, they were opening gates for us, uh, water tenders were showing up. Um, you know, a lot of that a lot of that equipment that we don't pay for on budget, uh, we can never afford to keep that kind of, we can never afford to keep the kind of equipment around that's necessary to fight a fire like the high pass fire. Uh, nobody could. And so you, um, you, you utilize those, uh, those resources when the need arises and thankfully they're there. You make those phone calls and the relationships are there and the equipment shows up. You know, again, I'd, we, uh, just to give you an, an idea on dollars, again, our annual budget for this district, um, half paid for by landowners, half by general fund, is about $2 million a year. And in the last five days, we spent $2.7 million on just the high pass fire. Um, but again, had we not stopped it where we did, uh, there would have been a tremendous amount of timber value lost out there. Uh, we know for a fact there were 43 homes that were threatened that we put into a level one evacuation notice. And if this fire would have kept spreading how, to be quite honest, I thought it might on that Friday with that weather that was forecasted, it would have been into, if you're familiar, out Highway 36 into the low pass country and affected a lot more homes. Um, you know, So it feels good that we that we were able to stop it where we did, and we did not impact those residents or those other timber owners in the area. Yeah, $2.7 million seems really cheap when you were talking about 43 homes that were on evacuation notice that could possibly have been you know, burned down. Even, a, even if a small portion of those were burned down, it would have probably been more than 2.7 in, in, in value of the homes alone let alone, you know, the loss of family heirlooms and everything else and, and the disruption to those families. And that was just the homes mostly on High Pass and Templeton and, and Lavelle that were close to the fire. If it had grown, like you said, and I, you know, I know the area pretty well, Low Pass, you know, it's got a, a fair amount of residences in that area along 36 and in, including a, uh, a church uh, summer camp there where we weren't sure if they had the ability to evacuate the kids that were at the camp. Cause it's one of those kind of camps where the kids get bussed in on a, you know, a, a Sunday and they get bussed out the next Saturday kind of type thing. And the buses aren't there during the week. So um, this could have been a really uh, costly and dangerous fire in a lot of ways. If, it, if we had hadn't kept it so under control on Thursday, and at the same time, hadn't gotten kind of lucky with the weather on Friday. Um, you know, both, you know, even if we hadn't been lucky with the weather on Friday, I think the amount of work you guys did on Thursday, wouldn't, we wouldn't have been as bad uh, as we could have been. Um, but still, it, it was just two, two things in combination, the, 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 the incredible initial attack you guys did and, and, the, and the weather changing really kept uh, a lot of folks safe here in Lane County. Um, and, you know, I look at other fires around the state, you know, in previous years and, and um, how many days those burned and how many days they had a full incident management team. You know, at one point we had over 500 people on this fire. Um, if that had extended another couple of weeks, 2.7 is a small amount. I, I I forget what the figures are exactly for some of the fires that were to the south of us, like the Big Windy Complex, uh, 
a few years back, but I think they're in the 30 to $60 million range, some of these fires. So that, that for a fire, that's actually not a very expensive fire. No, that's correct. You know, if you look just last year down toward Roseburg, the Stouts Creek fire, uh, I think the bill on that was 45, 42 to $45 million, and that's just the firefighting effort. That doesn't include the loss of the asset, whether it be homes or timber value. Um, that's just the actual firefighting effort itself, the suppression effort. And so that's what we're looking at here, right. too. Uh, $2.7 million in five days to put that fire out um, is pretty amazing. I mean, again, we had, like you said, uh, we were having to host and take care of over 500 firefighters or 500 individuals um, over the last five days. Um, they laid out an interesting number I heard today. Uh, we're, we're trying to re, you know, regroup and bring all that equipment back in, but uh, that 200-acre fire had so many fingers and such steep ground and you know, had so many bodies on it. Uh, we put out over 11 miles of fire hose on that fire. Wow, stretch, you know, 11. More than, 11 miles is a long way, and that's a lot of fire hose, and none of it was laid on flat ground. There isn't, uh, there isn't much flat ground out there. It's a pretty uh, staggering number. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 11 miles, if you think about that, that would be just about enough hose to have run from Junction City out to the fire. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems uh, crazy. You know, yeah, if, that is pretty if I can take, if I could take one quick second too. You know, we, we were talking about the landowners sure. and the district and everything here. I got to say one thing, Jay, and that was the support that the local communities gave us. Um, they're not used to seeing these kind of fires. You know, West Side fires are are infrequent, but usually pretty uh, severe. And it was it was phenomenal how much help uh, the local towns here gave us. And, you know, an example, I, I needed to find some night sleeping that first night, or day sleeping, rather, for our night crews. And, you know, it's 100 degrees. You can't sleep them in a tent out in the middle of a field. And so, you know, right here in Venita, the local Mormon church, uh, Rich Jones, uh, opened that up for our crews. They slept there. Uh, the city of Venita, they gave us their swimming pool to use the showers there. Uh, Stacy Cornelius lined that up. Uh, the high school principal and athletic director got us hold of Junction City, um, who the high schools there who put us in touch with uh, the city of Junction City is where we ended up putting our fire camp over there. Um, a local church down the street from there um, also opened up for more daytime sleeping and just everybody kicking in. We got all kinds of donations from cookies to water to socks. Um, pretty pretty neat to see if you're a member of these communities here locally. Um, to see folks step forward like that is is really uh, really comforting and a you know, again, I just had to say that and pat him on the back. It was pretty neat to see. Yeah, yeah. So uh, going back around to these residences that were notified about possible evacuation, um, I just some of the, you know, back and forth on, on uh, social media, people don't quite understand kind of the levels that, that evacuations are done for fires. Um, you know that they'll they'll hear the Forest Service or some other agency talk about a level one evacuation notice or that you know, the other thing, and and then around here they they talk about ready, set, go. Um, can can are you familiar with the the evacuation notice classifications and kind of where they were at, at least for this fire? I think they were just at the first ready. Um, That's not, correct. You know, we had 43 residents that were in a level one, which is ready. Uh, level two is basically set, and three is a go is is the way of looking at that. And the reason we've gone to this ready, set, go is is just it's very crisp and clear, and people understand that if you talk about a level, if I were to walk down the street and tell somebody they were in a level two evacuation, that doesn't mean as much as if I you know if I explain to them what ready, set, and then go is. And so it's just a crisper, cleaner, easier way for people to understand. But we only reached the. Uh, the level one, the ready stage on this fire, um, and they were in that, I believe, for about two days. And if I can give you my spin on that, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, if you live in a rural area um, surrounded by forest land fuels, you should, 
three to four months ahead of the year during the summer, you should always be in the ready mode. Uh, you should be thinking about what you know what you would do um, if that fire was to come, because it, it can happen when you least expect it. And you know, if you think about what happened uh, last Friday, uh, just west of Eugene, there in the Fur Butte area, you know, one moment there was nothing, and the next moment there were dozens of homes threatened. Um, so I think you you know you should be kind of in a in a ready mode all the time in the summer in this country. Yeah, and that's so very true. And, and maybe you know, it, and it's not just about fire. <clears throat> it can be about other natural disasters or or any reason you might have to abandon your home quickly. Um, just understanding kind of what's the important things to take, like you know, all of your stuff that's really hard to replace, like birth certificates, uh, um, wedding licenses you know, or certificates, you know, that, you know, that helped you prove your ID out, um, the, uh, you know, uh, your, um, prescription Medication. and, and medications, the, those things that you don't, you know, that aren't easily to call to mind and get replaced easily. And if it takes some time to replace them and you're without them for a certain length of time is a problem. So, you know, having that, Knowing where all that stuff is and being able to throw it in a in a in a backpack or a suitcase to throw in the car quickly um, is kind of an important thing rather than having to spend an hour or so searching out all that stuff in your house um, is something that, that everybody should think through. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that Fur Butte fire. Uh, you know, it was a case on a day where it could have been a really tragic fire and actually got very close to us to a residence there and they managed to save the residents. But it was really fortunate that you guys had kind of gotten a handle on um, the high pass fire because you guys actually helped um, put that Fur Butte fire out with some of the assets you had working the high pass fire uh, from my understanding. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we, uh, you know, fortunately we kind of had our grips um, that we had basically contained the spread of the uh, high pass fire. Um, when that fire broke out, uh, we heard it on the scanner and believe it or not, I, I was actually at the office at that time. I stepped outside and could see the column and uh, we sent a couple of engines and then myself and another fire manager out of the office headed that way. And, you know, the reality is, um, to be quite honest with you, the structures weren't immediately threatened on that high pass fire. We were feeling really good about it. And when you could see the column that we saw and hear the radio traffic about, uh, um, you know, structures being threatened um, and a rapidly moving grass fire, and I know that Fur Butte country right there, there's a lot of, uh, that could burn up in a hurry in there. So it was a, yeah. it wasn't much of a decision to just call up our heli base and our air attack uh, platform that day and say, divert our Type 1 helicopters now. And that's what happened. Those, uh Anybody who happened to see that day, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, two big Type 1, a, uh, a big sky crane, and then a Chinook, um, all of a sudden flying over from the reservoir and dropping water on that fire on Fur Butte to, to aid the rest of the um, rest of the effort there. Um, it was pretty neat to see. Again, it was a, a heck of a stop by your uh, local fire departments there. Lane Fire Authority, I know, was a big player in Eugene Fire. Uh, there was equipment everywhere there. Uh, but there were some areas on that fire where fence lines were really hanging them up on a fast-moving grass fire. You couldn't get equipment in, and those big ships dropping 2,000 gallons of water at a whack, um, I think, really helped in that suppression effort. Yeah, yeah, and I and I, I drive past there on my way into um, my office there in at Lane County every day. I use Clear Lake Road and and. You can still see where the ignition point was from the piece of uh, farm equipment uh, <laughs> uh, that was still sitting in the field. Um, you know, later that that weekend when I went by I, on Saturday, when I went by there, um, you could still see that piece of, of uh, uh, I think it's a disc or something was sitting there um, at the edge of the field, and you could see the V shape working away from it in black and see how close that blackened ground got to a couple houses running behind them. It just, it, it might, must've been darn scary for those residences. And they were probably just cheering those helicopters on when they came flying in. 
Well, again, it's so, you know to go to that phrase I said, complete and coordinated effort. That uh, you have an event like that, and everybody comes together um, to help out. Uh, like I said, agencies and landowners, and we just happen to have an asset, you know, right next door, working on a different fire that was able to provide some help. And um, you know, those same fire districts I just mentioned have helped us many times outside of their districts. Well, in fact, this fire, the High Pass fire is not uh, the point of origin there and that fire isn't actually within any of the any of the local fire districts yet they were out there that first morning providing us all kinds of support um, to help us there so again it's, it's a cooperative effort we can't all do it alone and and fortunately we have the relationships built around here that uh, you ask questions later you know take care of the need first and then we'll we'll clean the rest of it up later after we after we stop the fire yeah, it, it was a great effort of everybody out there. So I'm talking with Link Smith with the Oregon Department of Forestry. And if you want to get in on the conversation with us, the number is 646-721-9887. And just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. So Link, I want to move into this whole idea of how we pay for this uh, fire prevention system. Uh, or at least 50% of it, uh, which is paid for by property owners. And I know I, I didn't even realize this until it started coming up about the forest land classification um, system. I went and pulled my tax bill out, and lo and behold, I've got this 60-some dollar thing for West Lane fire protection on, on my, you know, forest, forest land assessment on my tax bill because I, I own less than 17 acres in what's considered forest land. Um, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you guys are actually tasked with um, fighting wildfire on, on any, basically any land that can support wildfire. Um, and then those are the, the areas that are assessed. But let's talk a little bit about this forest land classification thing. Sure. Um, what I can tell you to, to start with there is is exactly what you mentioned there. We have what we call the Oregon Forest Land Protection Fund. And, you know, again, I mentioned I have a $2 million budget every year. Well, what happens if I have a high-pass fire? What if in a week I get a second high-pass high fire that, you know, I spent $5 million putting out two fires? Um, you'd, you'd break the bank. And so, you know, that was figured out. A long time ago and so we have this Oregon Forest Land Protection Fund which is essentially a bank account um, that's set aside at the fund that helps pay for these large fires because um, no single district can do it alone and that fund is supported by um, basically every landowner and the harvest tax in Oregon on the harvest tax on timber and so a portion of what you saw on your tax bill there that assessment pays for your assessment pays for our annual operating fund and then a portion of that including the surcharge because you have structures on your property um, go into that fund so now this uh, to go to look at this uh, high pass fire 2.7 million dollars will probably cost um, guess than a hundred thousand dollars out of my budget when you look at the deductibles and things of that nature and I don't want to complicate things but I'm going to pay $100,000, let's say, out of out of Western Lane's budget. The remaining portion of that $2.7 million is going to be paid for out of that Oregon Forest Land Protection Fund. So it's it's, it's mm -hmm. in, a, in a sense, it's kind of like an insurance policy. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I had to catch my breath there. Um, now to take that a step further. Um, you're going to start hearing, and I'm hoping people are kind of hearing the word about. Uh, the forest land classification um, work that we're doing here in Lane County right now. And what that is, we have a, a committee of six members. Uh, three of them were appointed by the commissioners. Uh, we also have a member from the Department of Forestry, a member from the State Fire Marshal's Office, and a member from the OSU Extension Office. And we're going, like, basically canvassing the county to determine what is what contains forest land and what doesn't. And again, that forest land definition in this sense is what can carry fire at any time of the year. So it could be a, 
It could be a lot, a two-acre lot that just has grass on it. Um, that is a threat to fire. And so you should be paying for fire protection because what would happen if that field catches on fire today, we will send resources. The type of resources we bring to bear that your local fire departments don't, uh, most of them are all, or your local fire districts are really uh, structure agencies. Um, we're the wildland agency. So we bring those big helicopters. We bring the air tankers that were flying over the other night. We bring the bulldozers. We bring the fire, uh, the fire teams that help support those efforts. Uh, we bring the miles and miles of hose to put out those fires. And so um, to pay for that, it's, it's, you know, everybody that has those kind of lands that meet that definition um, should be paying equally um, or equitably toward that fire protection um, service there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the folks there that live on Furbute Road won't be complaining about their assessment in the future. Interestingly, Fur Butte isn't within one of the fire isn't within our fire protection district. So everybody on Fur Butte ah. is either Lane Fire Authority or I believe Eugene Fire in that country there. Um, it's outside of our protection district, interestingly enough. But again, we're uh, ah. our cooperators help us, and we're going to help them in that instance that uh, in time of emergency like last Friday. So um, yeah, our basic basically our district runs from Territorial Highway to the west. And then down mm -hmm. around junk, down around uh, city of Eugene and to the south, the Cottage Grove in that area, and then our sister district of the Department of Forestry across the freeway is basically the freeway then to the to the east up into the Cascades. <clears throat> but we don't actually protect the valley here. So Junction City, for instance, and the city of Venita, the, our district kind of skirts right around that actually because it's more of a uh, more of a city than than a forest land. Yeah. Yeah, but here here in Elmira, I know you know many properties are not too dissimilar from the around Fur Butte, so it's kind of surprising that they that they wouldn't want to have some of that wildland fire protection there. But I understand it doesn't have actually productive timber as much mixed in it um, as as when you get into the coast range, and that's really kind of the genesis of the fire protection associate associations was to protect. Um, timber um, interests. Uh, so I can see why the valleys were kind of left out. And of course, cities have their own fire departments. And once you get inside a city, it's not so much wildland fire as, as structure fire. Although I would I would argue that the South Hills is, is uh, on the summer South like- The South Hills are in our district. And uh, believe me, the city of Eugene, um, Eugene Fire District or Eugene Fire Department wants us uh, in those areas. We we have what you call dual assessment. So folks mm -hmm. there, same with Elmira, for instance, are they're paying a, an amount on on your tax bill that comes to the Department of Forestry in assessment, and they're also paying because they're within a fire district, whether that be Eugene Fire yep. or Lane Fire Authority, um, Santa Clara, you name it. Those different fire districts. Um, so you're you're kind of dually protected there. Um, yeah, exactly. But Lane, Lane Fire. Yeah, if I if I call nine one one for a house fire, Lane Fire Authority is going to come out and put you know limit my house fire. But if there's uh, somebody you know throws a cigarette out on Territorial Road on on an east wind day and it's coming across my neighbor's cow pasture, um, you guys are going to be the ones that kind of come out and try and put a stop to that 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 wildland fire. Um, it, it's kind of two different two different kinds of firefighting, and, and, and uh, I appreciate the difference in it, and, and I don't mind paying both assessments. <laughs> you know, if people think about so, it; it's, they're, they're, it's it's worth paying both assessments. You know, one of the most interesting things is our Florence area. Um, you know, the frequency of fire in that Florence country isn't as often as it is here on the valley. You don't have as many fires, but historically, you've got some pretty significant fires, and. Um, you know, that area all around Florence, a lot of people think, well, it's on the coast, it'll never burn. And uh, never is, is not, uh, not really the right answer there. So, you know, we're going through classification, actually looking at those lands as well to see what can support fire. And, um, you know, one of my bigger fears, you mentioned um, South Eugene Hills as being one of our real worry points. You know, you've got tough topography, a lot of homes built amongst the timber and the brush there. And, Certainly, the potential for a, a really bad fire exists in the South Eugene Hills. 
uh, I think equally so, but less understood or less believed might be the word, is the risk of fire in the in the Florence area. Uh, you get some really significant wind on a lot of days in Florence, and there's probably only a couple of days a year, but if you think about uh, some of that brush country, um, rhododendron drive in those areas, um, that can really, uh, his Cedar Beach is another one. Um, you get you get the wrong day with an east wind, and you get that really hard north northeast dry wind. Uh, I've got a real fear that someday we're going to have a, a significant event happen there, and that that one's really got me concerned. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one only has to look up to the north to Depot Bay to understand that coastal forests will burn. Um, and in fact, you, one of the first fires we had this year in the district was actually near near Florence. Didn't we have a um, a uh, um, slash pile reignite or something down there and had a little like two acre fire near Florence early in the summer? Oh, that we did, we did, and we had we had actually a pretty good fire just the other day too that not many people know about right outside of Cottage Grove. Um, you know, and on the right day, the conditions, the wind, the topography, everything's there. Uh, you get that, all those things kind of line up, and it's certainly a worry. And, uh, again, that Florence country is, people aren't very, people have short time, you know, time uh, senses that they say when the coast can never burn. And I've got a couple of guys in our office here who uh, fought fire on what they called the Argo fire back in the, I think it was the late 80s. Um that was in that Hasita Beach country, and they were very fortunate not to lose any homes in that day, and there were a lot less homes back then, um, but the fire just burned mm -hmm. in and around them and brought in uh, helicopters and bulldozers, and I think they stopped at around eight acres or something like that, which doesn't sound very big, but the footprint uh, encompassed a bunch of homes, and again, nobody remembers that fire except a couple of the employees I have. It's just that many years ago. Yeah, and it's much more dense with housing now and but you yeah the ground down there you know you think about it it doesn't you don't get the conditions for fires often down there but the the fuel loading there is just incredible compared to you know if you hike the woods back here off of Scheffler or something like that once you get past the initial edge of the woods and into the you know the the actual forest there's not that much underbrush but i don't care where you go on the coast it's hard to if you don't if you're not on a developed path, just try to walk through that sal al, uh, and and uh, it, it's you know overhead high even with the forest canopy above it and it, and the forest there has got so much you know highly explosive uh, coast uh, you know shore pine that it's. Uh, yeah, on, I, it'd be scary, and, and that north wind gets roaring in the afternoon over there um, in the summertime. That could really move a fire a long ways in, in, in a in a single day. Uh, so, yes. so, so you guys look at could it you know could a piece of property uh, carry fire, and, and are they in your in your protection area? Um, and once you've determined that, how is you know is it you know, if you guys bring more property into your assessment, do you guys get more money or, you know, how, how does that work? Or, you know, is, is there an incentive for you guys to, to reclassify properties that are not currently paying the assessment into paying the assessment? There's the benefit isn't for us. Uh, we, you know, we determine a budget on what we need. Um, so that budget isn't going to change, and I'm going to use a $2 million figure. Our budget's been right around $2 million for the last several years, um, our annual protection budget. Um, what this will do, um, this study, and this is Lane County, the entire county, we're taking it from the Cascades to the coast, um, and again, getting this panel or board to look at that, this committee to look at that. Uh, it just more equitably distributes those costs. So. You know, if we're just if we're just to use blank numbers, two million dollars. If we're dividing that between, you know, uh, six hundred thousand acres or seven hundred thousand acres, what we're trying to determine uh, that number, that two million dollars isn't going to change. Uh, that rate per acre may change that people are paying, such as yourself, 
because, you know, again, we want to make sure that the people that are going to utilize our service that do have those forest land fuels out there, we want to make sure to capture that acre. Um, and then, again, that may dr drive your cost down. So we're not, again, we're not changing our budget. We're not getting any more money. We're just more equitably distributing um, that cost to those landowners that are going to receive or do receive our services. Great. I just I wanted to try and bring that point to light because one of the things that, that folks will immediately be suspicious of is if they get, you know, haven't been classified and they do get classified as needing to pay the assessment. And if you have less than 17 acres, you're paid the minimum assessment, um, 17 acres or less, if I understand that correctly. So most most people like me don't have, yeah, I only have an acre and a half. Um, we pay that minimum, uh, the the two assessments, and I think they add up to like $63. I can't remember the exact number that was on my tax bill. It's really not a big portion of your taxes uh, annually. Um, to know that you guys are, are there and available to help stop a fire before it might get in my neighborhood is is a, a small price to pay. And I imagine um, because we have this system, it might also keep my homeowner's insurance at a lower rate overall. I'm fairly certain of that. If you uh, if you're un if you do not have a fire agency, for instance, your home insurance some homes uh, won't even be insured if they don't have protection. Um, you know, the hard part about it, to be honest with you, Jay, is that, you know, people, you know, you, you, you hate to pay for a service because you like to think you're not going to use it. Um, it's like a, calling the police, you know. A lot of people don't call for a police assistance, but maybe once in their life. But you certainly, when you push that 911 button and you need an officer there, you need them there and you want them there. Um, we're, we're no different. Fire agencies are no different. They're an emergency response agency. You have to pay people and to have equipment ready and those people on standby so that when you push that button, you get a rapid response. Looking at a high point, uh, you know, once again, we push that button. All of a sudden, we had air tankers and helicopters and $2.7 million worth of equipment stopping that fire. Um, those assessments that you're paying, that $66 or your uh, acreage fees, um, they're contributing and paying for that system that you hope you don't ever have to use. But if you do need to use it, it needs to be there, and it needs to be there immediately. Yeah. So um, you guys have got some public meetings coming up about this forest land classification effort that you're in the middle of doing. Um, can you talk about when those will be and also about uh, other ways folks might be able to get testimony about, about you know, whether they think they should be exempted and, and or 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 not, um, what, what are those meetings coming up? Absolutely. We, uh, the committee has done their, what I'd call their classification work now. And so before we, as we bring this out to the public, because there will be some people that will be asked um, to pay that haven't been, that have basically slipped through the cracks for all these years. Um, we don't look at a tax lot later and say, oh, wait, that one's not paying and not go fight the fire. We're going to fight the fire we have. Um, but now, uh, again, we're, we're cleaning this process up. So uh, we are having three public meetings. Uh, the first one will be September 26th over in Florence at uh, 6.30 p.m. at the uh, Florence Event Center just to share information, answer questions, and meet one-on-one -on -one with folks there. So we'll be having a presentation. Uh, September 29th at uh, 7 p.m. we'll be out at the Lowell High School for a similar presentation again, to, to hit the uh, east side of the county. And then our final meeting will be October 3rd at 6 p.m. at uh, Lane Community College. And that meeting will actually have a hearing afterward where we'll finalize and, again, take testimony and comments from people at that meeting. Those are our three meetings that we hope to do some public outreach on. Certainly hope people will join us and uh, be willing to have the conversation. Well. Link, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And, and again, for all the citizens of Lane County, I want to thank you and the staff at ODF for the work you did in fighting the High Pass fire and the uh, Fort Butte Road fire um, and all the all your cooperating partners and everyone else that, that helped out. Um, just thank you guys. I can't tell you enough. Everybody tells me to thank you if I 
So thank you thanks very much. for coming on. And uh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Great, Link. Thank you, and good night from the Bose Nose Show. We'll talk to you next week.